Well, good evening, everyone, as you find your seat and find your way in. I believe we may have to keep adding chairs in here. It's a good crowd. And that's encouraging. You know, I think sometimes we're going to offer a class on like, tonight is on the union of Christ. It's like a theological session, I think. Well, I don't know if everybody's going to be fascinated by that. Man, you guys have really, everybody's taking a real interest in it. So that's encouraging uh, from that standpoint to walk through these few weeks. So thankful you're all here and a part of this class. That's encouraging to us and what you want to learn about and be a part of. Uh, if you would like a handout, if you just slip up your hand, if you did not pick one up on the way in, we can get you one before we are done. Uh, but if you slide up your hand right now, we'll bring you a handout you can walk through. It's shorter and not near as much scripture as the pastor. I know. You know something in life? Some of you know this lesson. Sometimes it's good to make the boss look good, you know? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, let's take a minute, and uh, before we jump in and spend a minute praying, um, I'd like to just take a moment and pray. I'll just read one short verse uh, for you to listen to. One, one of the things, just hopefully in your reading plan or as you're spending time in the Word, one of the things I'd encourage you to do, I was talking to somebody today, they called me and said, hey, what do you do for personal devotions? They said, I want to grow deeper in the Lord. I was talking about reading the Bible. And, you know, one of the things I encouraged them to do was, you know, for a long time I would think about reading my Bible and then prayer is like separate activities. And uh, you would read your Bible and then you would have your prayer list and then you would pray. Um, while you do, I think it's a great idea to have a prayer list, I, I would encourage you to think of prayer as a, a piece of reading your Bible. And in a lot of ways, when you're when you're having your time with the Lord every day, the Lord is speaking to you through His Word, you should speak back to Him through prayer. It's a, it's a conversation happening as you're reading your Bible. So, just something to encourage you with as you're reading, um, you know, if you're reading a, a, like a Bible reading plan, and you're maybe reading three or four chapters a day, uh, one of the things that Donald Whitney says is read big and meditate small. So at some portion in your reading, if you're reading several chapters, I'd encourage you to stop on a few verses or spend a little extra time by some scripture. And then sometimes, maybe in the middle of your quiet time, reading the word, you go, you look at something and you spend two or three minutes just praying to the Lord about what's been revealed in his word. Uh, that's a lot of, maybe you sit there and you're like, I just read my Bible, I check that reading plan and I walk into my day and if somebody asked me an hour later what I got out of that, I'd have no idea what to say, right? Uh, that, that's an easy temptation to get into. And so what I'd encourage you to do is make sure you're, you're praying as you're reading. And so as the Lord convicts or walks you through stuff, take a moment, pause, and then pray to the Lord as you're reading his word. And in a lot of ways, that, that enriches your prayer life because you'll end up praying for things you would have never have thought to pray for before. Because uh, it's easy to, as Donald Whitney says, pray the same old things about the same old things. Uh, but the Bible helps you pray new things uh, about different things. So, um, all that to say, I want to read one verse. And um, Psalm 27 talks a lot about waiting on the Lord. And the last verse says, wait for the Lord. 
Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There's a lot of biblical principles that are like a thread that go throughout the whole entire Bible. Waiting is a Christian activity, right? We, we wait. I mean, just in general, we're all waiting for the return of Christ. We're all waiting to be glorified in the end. We're just, our whole life is set up as a waiting period to be delivered. The entire story of the Exodus, where they're exiled out, waiting to make it to the promised land. That's an analogy of our entire lives. Exiled out, waiting to make it to the promised land. Saying all of that, as Christians, we wait well. And so I just want to take a moment and allow this word to think. And maybe as right now, as you're looking in your life and stuff going on, and you're impatient, you're frustrated, um, take a moment and pray. And maybe right now, whatever circumstance you're in, I imagine that in some place in your life, this word speaks to you. Let me read it one more time. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Let's take a moment in prayer. Maybe it's a, a matter of something going on in your life. I want you to lift that up to the Lord tonight. And then I'll close us out in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So Lord, oftentimes there's things that you're doing that we just don't understand. We, we won't understand. In fact, up in, up in your mind and where you see the world... It makes perfect sense. In fact, for Christians, you're working that very thing for our good. So Lord, we come to you tonight waiting. Waiting on you. Lord, asking that you would help us to try to not fix it ourselves beyond what you've given, the means you've given us. Lord, we've asked us that We'd ask tonight that you would help our hearts to wait on you and not on other things. That as we sit in the midst of whatever circumstance it might be, we would look to you and to you alone to fix it. So Lord, I pray tonight as we wait and look to you, Lord, I pray for hearts that are weak, that they might be made strong. Lord, I pray for hearts that have been discouraged, they might take courage. Because, Lord, we live as a bold people, not because of anything we do or even things we see, because of our trust in you. As the psalmist says, some trust 
in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the Lord our God. So Lord, we look to you tonight, above all things in our life, to be working, and we trust you. We ask you to carry us as we long for the day when all waiting is over and we are with you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, what I'd like to do tonight, we're going to walk through the idea of union with Christ. In fact, I had um, a couple topics tonight. I think they may even still be on the top of your page. I had union with Christ and regeneration. <laughs> but I started on union with Christ today and yesterday and never got out of union with Christ. <laughs> so I, I thought, just after spending some time with it, that it might be best for us to just camp. And I'd rather do a thorough treatment of that one than rush through both. And so I, I was hoping, and I, I thought it's going to be encouraging to you, and an area in which it's something we mention. But when I started trying to tackle this thing and put it together, it's, it was a lot bigger than I expected what I thought was a simple biblical idea. So, let, let's read the summary of union with Christ. It says, union with Christ is the mighty work of God to join His people in eternal covenant with the Son, who accomplished their salvation through the Holy Spirit, who applies their salvation. So it's this mighty work of God, and in fact, if you notice in the phrasing here, you, when you think about being in Christ, uh, you oftentimes think about it in an individual manner, but the actual definition thinks of it as God's people placed in Christ. The, the, the overall thought is actually thinking of the church as being in Christ but it is true of you as well as an individual. So let's walk through some major affirmations to start with. First, let's speak about the identification with Christ. And I want to say this out of the gate. As I, as I mentioned, I was studying this and working through it, and in fact, the pastor walked in this afternoon, and I had every systematic theology book I owned open on my desk. He walked in, he says, what am all those big books doing on your desk, you know? And when he walked in, he, I was tackling this from every angle I could see. Honestly, I um, w looked through the, this chapter of the book and didn't think it was as thorough as I thought we might want to be. And I was trying to figure out, okay, being in Christ, we talk about it fairly often, it's in a lot of scripture, seems like a simple idea. Uh, it's actually very, it's actually a mystery. And scripture even says it. I felt better once I read this verse as I was studying it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 says, This mystery is profound. I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. So the, the union of Christ and the church, which we'll reference Ephesians 5 again in a minute, is a mystery. There's a level at which even as we tackle this, I'm not going to be able to clear it all up. And it's because uh, it, it challenges the depths of who Christ is. So let's first begin with ways in which people traditionally have cut it into two different categories. So there's two, two categories that are written on your paper. And in fact, I took every kind of synonym word that different people use for it, because some of you have heard these words, and I tacked them all together there. So you see the slashes. Forgive me if it's a little 
uh, much, but judicial, legal, forensic, and positional. Meaning that in Christ, that it is a judicial move of God. Forensic, legal, or it changes your position. Here's what I mean. That means that the riches of Christ are now transferred to you, and your debts are now transferred to Christ. This is a judicial act, like a courtroom. In the courtroom, the riches of Christ before the judge, God, and your debts get exchanged. Some people refer to this as the marvelous exchange. The idea that in this moment, everything is changed between us. We'll speak more about it in the future categories I have on the page. Here's the second way to think about it. And this one kind of comes as a result of the first. There are spiritual or, as someone might say, experiential or organic means in which you are in Christ. This is the way that it impacts your life. So in other words, the first one impacts God and his relationship to you. But being in Christ actually impacts how you live. It changes your mind and your heart and your desires and your life. Being in Christ, and I'll mention this in a minute, Christ being in you changes who you are. So the first one changes your standing with God, this judicial, legal type relationship, this great exchange that happens. The second one actually plays out in your personal walk with the Lord. It's all a result of being found in Him. Now, the next four categories I have on your page, you see there. Uh, we are in Christ, uh, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. I took these four categories for a guy named Wayne Grudem. He, he defines it like this. He says, union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which, Christ, through which Christians re- receive every benefit of salvation so the benefits you receive of salvation they are received in christ so you think about all the benefits of being a christian they are found in christ so this idea of having a union with christ or being in christ is directly connected to every benefit you have for being a christian these relationships include the fact that we are and here's where he defines these four categories in christ Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. So for the next few minutes, I'd like to take those four and walk through Bible passages to help you see it. So let's first speak about the, the, the first plain one, is that we are found in Christ. And, and I, I know I struggle with this sometimes, because I, I think this is kind of plain church language, But I want you to, this is a biblical concept of the New Testament that, I was was cutting out verses today. I mean, there were so many Bible verses that say the words in Christ that uh, I couldn't, it would be overwhelming if I used them all. So so to give you this idea is this is all found throughout the Bible, but I want to begin with a few ways to think about how you are in Christ. The first one uh, is the eternal plan of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians 1, verse 4. 
even as He chose us, here it is, in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God's means of choosing you and His means of making you holy and blameless were all done before the foundation of the world. Where? In Christ. To be found in Him. So part of your being in Christ has been for all time. But it's not just for all time. It's also during the life which Christ lived on earth. And there's two sides to this coin. I hope I can explain this well. Is that your unity with Christ, you are unified with the life he lived, and that also means he is now unified with the life you now live. There's two sides to this coin, and I'll bounce between both of them here in a moment. So you are, and this is, it's pretty amazing to think about. Everything he did on earth, when it says you are in Christ, you are connected to everything he did. And I'll outline the scriptures in a minute to connect that. And then the other side of it is by being connected to that, he is now connected to everything that you live. So there's two sides. I'll show them to you as we walk through. So whatever Christ did, um, it now connects to you. So... Uh, Romans 5.19 speaks about how one man's obedience, because of his life, his obedience, now many will be made righteous. And um, I'll read some scripture here in a minute. So I'm, gonna, I'm just giving you some verses now. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This speaks about the great exchange. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It, it's this exchange that you see happening, right? So all this is found, this trading is because you are in Christ. Now let's start unpacking some scriptures. I never looked at these quite like I had today about being in Christ. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Many of you know this verse. If you, do, if you couldn't quote it, uh, you'll know it when I say it. For I have been crucified with Christ. Do you, do you see the being in Christ there that I mentioned? I have been, not that Christ was crucified for me. I have been crucified. I am in Christ. So in that very moment, I am identifying with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. And this, we're going to get to this in a minute, the other side of it. Christ who now lives in me. So both, I was in Christ and Christ in me. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins on that tree. He had my sin on that tree. So here's what I want you to see. When it says I was in Christ, everything Christ did, I am now in. In other words, when he has the righteous life, I now have that. You are now in that. So the life he lived 2,000 years ago, you are, that, that's what you now carry. And not only do you carry the fact he lived that life, but you carry the fact that he died on that cross. In fact, baptism is a major picture of this. We are Hickory Grove Baptist Church, right? So we talk about baptism. But baptism shows the picture of being found in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Sorry, I'm going to pause longer on some passages 
and then I'm going to mention stuff quickly. I'm going to spend a moment on Romans 6. Because I want you to hear the language of Romans 6. Now think about it. I mentioned earlier the righteousness of Christ. If I'm found in His righteousness, His life is now mine. When He died on the cross, I now am in Christ on the cross. Now the entire rest of His life plays out in Romans 6. Start with verse 3. Look at it with me. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, hear the phrase, into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into His death. So now there we are in His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him. Do you catch the, the strength of that language? It's not like I was He was buried and then I'm going to just pick that idea up later. Like in that, We're buried with Him. In Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, what? Now that we're in Christ, we're not just in his death, we too might walk in the newness of life. And if you're not sure about it yet, look at verse 5. For if we have been, here it is, being in Christ, we have been united with him, union with him, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in what? A resurrection like his. So now I'm in him in his resurrection. This is where we've got to be a little bit careful with the gospel. It's not just about his death. It is also about his resurrection. I need to be united with him there as well. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Again, hear the phrase. You were crucified in him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he, live, live, he, lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, in the last phrase, in Christ Jesus. The whole picture of the gospel is the fact that you are found in him. This union with Christ. And this is, I mean, even if you rewind back to like Jesus getting baptized. You ever wonder why Jesus got baptized? Like, he wasn't a sinner. I mean, he didn't have to, there wasn't a picture of his sin. That was him identifying with you. That was all part of the union so that one day when you got baptized, you would be baptized in him. It's an identification with Christ. And so all this picture, this is why to me, I, if you just read Romans 6, uh, I don't, that's why I feel strongly in baptism by immersion being a right biblical picture. Because if baptism, which, just to be clear here, baptism does not save you. It is a symbol of the faith you have in Christ. So I want to make that clear. But, um, if that's the case, how in the world, if you were to sprinkle somebody, would it carry the picture in the symbolic nature of Romans 6? It, it can't. 
You, you can't sprinkle a person and it show the picture that you see in Romans 6 of death and resurrection. That's why immersion, if, you, if you're going to try to stay as close to the pictures of Romans 6, immersion has the death and resurrection of Christ. And so I, I think that is a point that makes you see, okay, if I'm going to follow Romans 6, I need to be baptized by immersion. All right, so this isn't a lesson on baptism. It's just side point. All right, so in fact, every application of redemption, in other words, every application in which you are redeemed is in Christ. You're called to salvation in Christ. You are regenerated in Christ. You are justified in Christ. In Christ, you die. In Christ, your bodies are raised again. Every single part of your salvation is connected to being in Christ. So, that being said, when we look at ourselves and we see 2,000 years ago, we see when Christ lived and he died and he rose again, you find yourself being in that and receiving the blessings of that. Now, uh, another piece of being in Christ here, still under my first point, is that we are one body in Christ. You know, we read Ephesians 5 earlier where it talks about Christ in the church and Christ is the head of the church. In fact, the Bible will describe in 1 Corinthians 10 and chapter 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 how there's one body, many members, and we're all part of this bigger body. So when Christ is the head and you are found in Christ, it now means you are part of a body of believers. Part of being in Christ is being in the church. You're not a solo in Christ Christian. We are in Christ together. When you're found in Christ, you're found in his body. And the Bible speaks about his body as the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ is the cornerstone. We are the blocks. So if you're in Christ, you're part of the building. You are not in Christ and not part of a building. It's, it's part of being in Christ is being a part of a church. So this changes a couple of things. It changes the fact how you see yourself as an individual. When you speak about salvation, it's not always about yourself. You're saved to be a part of a body of believers. I know we're individualistic as, as Americans. We think about ourselves probably more than we should. Uh, but in the response, we are a part of a body of believers. And the other piece here that I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, but I'll just mention it here, is that to be in Christ, you've now exchanged your sinful self for that life he lived. So your identity is no longer found in your failures. You're now found in, in Christ. You, you no longer have to see yourself before God as terrible. You now have the love of God no matter who you are because it is in Christ. All right, let me move to the second one here. Christ is in us. John 15, 5. You know John 15, the vine, the branches? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, hear, the, hear it again? I, again, I, 
You get, I can just go to all kinds of places in the Bible. Abides in Christ. Whoever abides in me. And listen to the reverse here. I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. So in other words, it's not just that you are in Christ. Christ is now in you. Because you walk around, Christ is in you. In fact, the life you live, as Galatians 2 said, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ, it is no longer I who live, but who? Christ in me. He lives in me, through me. I don't have to do this thing on my own. I have Christ living in me. This should be encouraging today. Whatever battle you feel, is it's not like you're fighting this thing on your own. You, you, you have Christ. And I'm not just saying some sort of like mythical concept. I'm saying a biblical idea. He actually lives in you. It's, it's a changing way of seeing the world. I'll talk more about that at the end as I pull out a little bit of application. Here's the third one. We are like Christ. So this is, this is the idea of imitation. 1 John 2, verse 6. So if we are in Christ, He is in us. 1 John 2, 6, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in Him, right? Again, there was the same phrase, ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. If you are in Him, He is in you, you will imitate Him. And in fact, it's, it's, um, this is where we share in his sufferings, Philippians 3, so that we might share in his glory. This is where you imitate Christ. Is Christ love the church? Husbands love your wives. Philippians 2, as Christ humbled himself, you humble yourself. By being in Christ, you imitate him. In fact, it's more than just imitating. We are becoming like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So you're, it's not just that you're imitating him, you're being transformed into his image. You are being returned to the original image of God placed in you. It's a glorious thing that Christ is now in you and you are imitating. You are becoming like him. Okay, here's the last one and then we'll get to some practical implications. We are with Christ. This is the idea of his presence with you. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there I am. We can rewind the pastor a couple Sundays ago, Matthew 28. Sins on the Great Commission. The very end of it all, if he says, go baptize, making disciples, he says, lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you, right? So this, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, is that God with us. This is something, um, this is a good moment for us to stop and think, in a Trinitarian fashion. Uh, we don't talk enough like this. I don't, I don't think. Uh, we don't speak enough about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and thinking of them acting in a Trinitarian manner. And so, when we speak about Christ with us or even Christ in us, 
we need to think about the triune personality indwelling the believer. In fact, since the Father and the Son are one, it's not that Christ is in us, but the Father is there as well. But the one who makes this happen is the Spirit. As the Spirit is the one effecting this or making it happen, Christ and the Father, the triune God, is dwelling in us. So don't just always think in terms of just one, but think about the Trinity, all three. All right, so there's the basic idea. I kept holding myself back because I want to bring some application here in a moment. Let's first talk about major errors to avoid. The first one is never, it says, neglecting the intimate union that believers enjoy with the triune God through union with Christ. We talk a lot about things that should encourage you in difficult times in your walk with the Lord. We probably don't say it enough that the fact that the triune God dwells inside of you should be of great encouragement, whatever you're going through. In other words, to say to you, hey, I know right now it's, it's difficult, but Christ is in you, walking with you. To say, I know that right now today's, tomorrow is going to be real hard. I mean, even just think about, let's say tomorrow is real hard. Think, the Holy Spirit is going to be there comforting you, walking with you tomorrow. That, that's encouraging to think about. And we don't think enough about the, the indwelling presence of God in us as believers. And I, I think that's one of the dangers or errors is that we minimize the impact of just having Christ in us. And so if I were to encourage you today, don't overlook the indwelling personal God. Here's a second one here. Overemphasizing our union with Christ as a mystical intimacy. Okay, what does that mean? It means, uh, this is the danger a little bit, and I was trying to watch my wording to make sure I said it right, is that we said we are in Christ and Christ is in us, but we are not Christ. We're never going to say, I am Christ. In fact, even as I become more and more like Christ, it doesn't mean that I'm going to become Christ. In fact, and this, I thought this was great. I was reading uh, in Grudem, and this is what he said. He said, the more we become like Christ, the more we truly, the more we truly become ourselves. I think it's a, the more ourselves, uh, I can't read. All right. The more we become like Christ, the more truly ourselves we become. I think that's how I wrote it. That didn't make sense. So here's what I mean. Is that God made you in his image and sin has distorted that. And since sin has stepped in, you're not, you're not the self God made you to be. And that the more you become like Christ, it's not that you become a copycat of who he is. And in fact, it's not that it erases like the differences in us. You know, that's one of the dangers to say, well, does that mean it removes different, you know, genders and personalities and races and cultures? No, 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 no. It doesn't take any of those differences away. In fact, it makes you into who you really should have been to start with. So 
this isn't like becoming like Christ, you're becoming like this copycat thing. It actually is restoring you to be who you really should have been to start with. So it's not the, so it ought to be encouraging to you to how unique the Lord has made you. So let's speak about enacting the doctrine. I mentioned this one earlier, understanding and living in the identity we have in Christ. So that means that you now have to understand that the identity you have before God is found in the life that was lived by Christ 2,000 years ago. That's when he looks at you, he looks at the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. And so that's the identity that you have now taken on. And so it's not that the Lord finds value in you because you've done these great things for him. It's because you were made in his image and because Christ's righteousness rests on you. The second thing is we should imitate Jesus Christ, our example. One of the books I was reading today actually pulled back on a, uh, an old saying. It's an old bracelet everybody used to wear. You know, the old WWJD, what would Jesus do question? But, but it actually was a, the, the point it made was, it's actually not a bad question. What? What is it? That I want to do what Jesus would do. I want to imitate when he would suffer, I want to suffer. When he would be kind, I want to be kind. When he would be humble, I want to be humble. So it's, your life is imitating the life of Christ. Now I want to take a second on this third one. We should understand the gravity of our sin. So if, if Christ is in us, we need to understand what our sin does. In fact, I thought of this verse today. came to my mind as I was looking at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's, it's actually talking about the temptation of sexual sin. But I want to read a couple verses from it. In fact, I'll read a verse and then I'm going to skip down towards the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Hear it again. Unit, unity of Christ again. I mean, like I said, you can find this. As you start reading your Bible, you start seeing this kind of unified with Christ everywhere. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Unity with the Lord again there. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a, here's, here's you being, God being found in you, Body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. He's indwelling you. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with the price to glorify God in your body. So there's a gravity to the fact that it's not like God lives way out there. And when you go sin, you can kind of forget about him and he leaves. The same encouragement you ought to have when you 
go into a difficult situation that Christ is with you ought to be the same conviction you have that when you walk in a sinful situation that Christ is with you as well. And 1 Corinthians 7 ties it, or 6 ties it to sexual sin, but I think in regards, we ought to have a gravity of the fact that if Christ is in me, that I ought to think about exactly what I'm doing with this body and what I'm doing with what the Lord has indwelled. What I do with my mind, every bit of it. I want to be careful to honor the Lord. Here's another one. Embracing the special presence of Christ to bless. Being in Christ, we talked about this earlier, every blessing of salvation comes through being found in Christ. And then the last one I think would be a good one for us to come to a conclusion on is living our whole life in Coram Deo, or before God, in the presence of God. Living our whole life in the presence of God. If Christ is in you, Christ is with you, living your whole life before God. Now I want to take a moment in prayer a little bit of extra time in prayer as we conclude. We're going to have a business meeting in a moment. Um, but I do want to spend a moment in prayer. This might just be a moment for you allow the Lord to search your heart. The Bible says that everything we do or think is laid bare before the Lord. You, you, might, you might think that whatever sinful thought or heart or attitude you have going on upstairs, you might not have told your spouse or your friend or somebody else around you. You might think nobody else knows, and maybe there's not another soul that knows what's in your mind or around you. But God knows. In particular, if you're a Christian... He is with you. He is, he's watching up close. And so, I, I don't know what kind of conviction that might bring to your heart. The, the beauty of it is, is that when you feel conviction, you're not alone. In Christ, you can now walk away from that sin. You don't just feel conviction and feel bad. It's like, I go fight harder myself. I've got Christ now to help me fight. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not the life I live. It's the life that Christ lives in me. So, so now what you have to do is confess whatever is not pleasing to the Lord and then say, Lord, I need your help. You live in me. Lean on the indwelling presence of the Lord to change your heart and your desires and where you, how you live. So I'd like to take just a moment if you'll bow your head and close your eyes, a moment of reflection and prayer before the Lord just to examine your heart tonight. As you live your life before the presence of God, is it pleasing to, them, to Him? If not, what do you need to confess to Him tonight? And then ask for His power and strength 
to walk away from. Now, the Lord is always present, but there are times He makes His presence more known than others. See it all through the Bible. Certain times the Lord, Lord's presence is stronger and clearer. It's there, but He makes it more known to us. Maybe now's the time if you're struggling or you're walking through your day, you feel like you've been alone. Maybe you need to go to Him right now and ask for His help to open your eyes to see Him walking with you through whatever you might be in. last thing I'd like for you to do is maybe you a moment ago, you thought of the terrible sin you had, and man, it feels, doesn't feel real good. Conviction of the Lord's laid on your heart. You know it's not pleasing to Him. Or, or maybe it's, um, you know, of some, something in your past and you feel unworthy. I want you to take a moment and meditate on being found in Christ and how when God looks down on you, He doesn't see the life you've lived here he sees the life Christ lived. And now He has exchanged your debts for Christ's righteousness. Heavenly Father, we sit here before you tonight thankful, humbled, in awe of our union with Christ, amazed that your perfection and holiness could be unified with us. Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts and our affections away from the world, that through the power of Christ living in us, we would choose holy and righteous things. Lord, I pray that you would make your presence clear and strong, comforting, convicting. Lord, I pray you'd give us confidence and peace in circumstances that it doesn't make sense to have confidence and peace, but we wait on you and you alone. And Lord, we would go from here May we live as people who live before a holy God in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.